Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that in the middle of a battle, in the middle of a fire, you're right there with us. We may not always feel you. We may not always sense that you're there, but you are there with us. You said you'd never leave us nor forsake us. That when people walk away from us and uh, maybe our job walks away from us and our kids walk away from us, you never leave. So Heavenly Father, I thank you for your presence here today. I thank you for every person that's come into this place with a heavy heart and a burdened heart, that you would relieve that burden. And those that came in with questions today, may they find the answer in you as we explore these circumstances today. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Melissa, would you come up? And I think it's just... You know, what happened in, in, in Pendleton and what happens in the world around us. Those of you uh, may not know Melissa, but she is from Pendleton. It is Ben's sister. Oh, you got a mic. Yeah, so you can give her a warm river welcome. We appreciate that. So, Melissa, tell us a little bit about geographically where you were in relation to the tornado and what was going on. Sure. So um, actually, right before this happened, we were driving home um, from like the Elkhart, Michigan type area. And um, driving home, I saw this cloud coming. And it was, everyone in my van was asleep. And I just, I kept watching it. I just kept thinking, doesn't look right. Just, you know. Um, We literally pulled in our driveway uh, just in time to get the kids into safety, pillows mm. over their heads, interior room. Um, we didn't even have time to think about going to the call space or anything like that, which wow. would typically be our go-to. Um, so we got in there and got the kids safe, and then my husband and I happened to look right outside and see as it was, like, in the cornfield right behind our house. Um, wow. But we had no damage to our house. Like, we had screens swept off that were laying in the yard. It just mm-hmm. – we watched it lift and just go over. Wow. Um, but just a few houses down from us is just all – yeah. Like, to drive right. down there. My husband's like, I don't even know how that happened. Like, we do, but... We do know how it <laughs> happened, but right. We do, but yes. just in that moment, you're like, how did that miss our yeah. property? Yeah. So. so tell us a little bit about what's happening now. Sure. And, uh, yeah, just yeah. tell us that. So um, even starting that night, um, Pendleton just kind of rallied right mm-hmm. away. Um, of course, we were told, you know, stay out of the area, no gawkers, no looky-loos, like it's not safe, it's dangerous, there were lines down everywhere, trees down everywhere, you couldn't turn on any major road anywhere, um, because there was just huge trees everywhere, and they had brought down lines, Um, so that night, everybody just felt like they were in a standstill, um, because even if your home was in the middle of it, you couldn't do anything, you didn't even know if you could go outside safely, Um, so we have, you know, I, I work at the element, one of the elementary schools in Pendleton with Lynn, actually. And um, we just have a lot of staff and kids. We have friends um, and people who are like family to us that were mm-hmm. in the middle of that. And yeah. we couldn't get to them. Right. Um, not only could we not get to them, but there were no phone lines. Um, the cell towers were down. Yeah. Um, there was no power. So um, we didn't even have power. Nobody around us did. So, But at that time, you know, it was just everybody had to kind of sit and wait. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of prayer that night, um, <laughs> yes. yep. in our home, especially, but obviously everywhere. Um, in our home, 
I just kept coming back to, um, you're going to have to be his hands. You're going to have to be the church. Like, this is your time to be the church. I actually texted that to Amy because um, she was like, if you need anything, if you need to come to our house, if you need showers or whatever, because um, that was what we were, we had been talking about that evening. But um, yeah. I just told her that I kept hearing that. So we, we had family move in with us. Yeah. For a night or two. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. Um, that was just what we kept hearing was you're going to have to be his hands. You're going to have to be the church. And yeah. we, we just kind of developed that into what happened. So as soon as, you know, the day dawned, basically the next <laughs> right. day, everyone's still being told, stay away from the area. It's still not safe. We don't need volunteers yet. We can't, we can't take them in here. It's not safe. Um, but that was mostly in town. Um, it was inside a certain area that the lockdown was um, placed. Um, but that was certainly not where the storm only hit. It's not even where the storm only hit the worst. Yeah. Um, there were areas in Huntsville. There were areas um, near there, Wooded Ridge, and mm -hmm. all those those uh, neighborhoods there. And there, there was also areas out near, like, Maple Ridge Elementary, 800 South area, that had been, has suffered a ton of damage, but... Um, weren't within the lockdown. So immediately that next morning, um, my our younger brother, Gary, and my mm -hmm. husband and my son um, loaded up with chainsaws and whatever tools they could come up with right. at home um, and fuel and everything, and they just took off. They went to wherever, it, you know, we, mm -hmm. we felt like we could. Right. Um, and, the, and the neat thing about it is, is that every day, there has been more and more opportunities to help or to serve. Um, but we've never had to like, you know, it was just kind of, we started the day with, okay, God, where do you want us today? Sure. Um, and that would just come. Like, um, I would get a message on my phone saying, hey, can you come to this address? And then we'd just go. And then it seemed like by the time we were wrapping things up there, we would get another message saying, hey, if anyone's available, we need you at this address. So you never had to wonder Right. where to go next right. because there was always somebody that you could help and mm -hmm. no matter where they went or where we went we um, either made new friends or we yeah. ran into people we knew that we could just build that with cool. um, that you know that moment that um, memory with um, awesome yeah awesome well what we're offering Tuesday and I think you're aware of this Tuesday we are going to at, at noon because I drove through Huntsville this morning and some of the neighborhoods this morning. Right. Um, I decided to extend my prayer drive over to Pendleton this morning before church instead of just driving circles around Lapel. And I drove through there, and it has not been touched. Most people don't know that Huntsville is not Pendleton. Yeah. It's county. Yes. And so the town, and the town people. Right are still cleaning up the town, let alone getting outside. And yeah. so what we're going to do from noon... I was going to say, the town is grabbing limbs. The county is not. Yeah. Um, they have to wait for FEMA. So. Right. So what we're going to do starting at noon on Tuesday until it gets dark, so if you want to come out after work, when you get off work, we're going to clean up Huntsville. We're just going to clean it up and do our part. And you're like, well, what if we run out of stuff to do? You're not going to run out of stuff to do. It's just not possible. It's going to still probably be another two months before everything gets cleaned up. So would you give uh, Melissa a round of applause and thank her for, thanks, for coming and sharing. And I also want to thank, I also want to say thank you to all of those that um, have helped, have donated, or what have you. 
Um, Tuesday, we have, I just want to make mention of this because they've jumped right on board. Reynolds Farm Equipment is donating equipment to us um, to move trees and limbs. Uh, Dennis Miller Construction is only, his crews are only working half a day, and then they are coming out at 2 o'clock with their trucks, and the construction workers are going to come out. Uh, I have other people. I have people in Indianapolis. I have thank you to Heartland Church who is donating finances, whatever we need. They're going to cover it. We just got to keep the receipts. Um, and so I just want to say thank you. I think that's everybody else that's pitched in. But if I've forgotten anybody else, it's... Oh, yes, of course. How did I forget that? Bloomers. I talked to Kyle Bloom. Uh, Bloomers is going to donate the dinner Tuesday night at 6 o'clock. And we're going to have roasted chicken, au gratin potatoes, and corn and everything, and so I want to say thank you to Bloomers for just donating the food for that, and is there anything else I'm forgetting, honey, because I'm not detailed. No, and we could use muscle. We could use some muscle and some help, Uh, and I've talked to Bonnie. Bonnie's in charge of getting people in place to help serve food that evening at 6 o'clock in Huntsville, and so Huntsville will be our base and our, our ground zero, and so if you want to get a hold of Bonnie, Bonnie, would you just raise your hand? We're going to need some people to help, just help serve food and coordinate the food. That would be awesome. I've talked to Tim McClintock, who's the town manager. He and I are good friends. And so uh, I've talked to him, and he said, we've got areas in town that you can go as well. So I've been working on this for the last 24 hours. Anybody that wants to help, you're more than welcome to come out and help. One of the things that I get asked a lot is this. Well, if there is a God and he's all-loving, and he's all-powerful, then why does he allow natural disasters? Because it doesn't seem logical to us. It doesn't seem to make sense. And so I'm going to try and answer that to some extent this morning. I would reference a few people that are extremely smarter than I am. You may YouTube them. Um, One of those people is N.T. Wright, the former bishop of Durham. In England, N.T. Wright is a f- uh, exceptional and extremely intelligent. You may uh, Google or YouTube him. You may Google Ravi Zacharias, who is a former Indian Hindu, converted to Christianity, and now he travels the world debating uni- uh, professors at universities. Uh, somebody else, Timothy Keller, pastor at Redeemer Presby- Presbyterian Church in New York, is somebody else you can YouTube as well. Uh, Frank Turek and John Lennox. John Lennox is the uh, head mathematician and chair of the School of Math at Oxford University in England. He is extremely profound and intelligent. And so you can YouTube these guys. They, they do a phenomenal job of discussing what I'm going to discuss. I cannot cover this in 20 minutes to a half hour. So I would recommend, you know, any of those names. You can YouTube them, watch them. They, they debate atheists and professors and so on all over the world. So why does God allow this to happen? I think when people ask this question, they're, they're coming from two sides. One side is they honestly want to know why. And the other side is they believe it's proof that God can't be good, the Christian God can't be good and loving, he can't be all-knowing, he can't exist because of this. This is proof of that. 
But if you take the question, if there's an all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving God, why does he allow natural disasters? If we take the opposite side of that question, let's flip that question and let's say this. What if there is no God? I said that in church. Uh Uh-oh. What if evolution with no God is true? Now, I know it's not, right? Here's where natural disasters fit in. There is no disaster. It's natural. It's nature simply thinning out the herd, and we have nothing to be sad about other than we lost a loved one. See, the opposite of that doesn't make any sense because inherently we know we call it what? A disaster. Even people that, even atheist friends of mine will call it a disaster. Why are they calling it a disaster? It's just nature thinning out the herd. It's just strong, it's just survival of the fittest. That's what Darwin says, right? If you take the opposite of that question, it doesn't fit. It doesn't fit how we feel. It doesn't fit how we think. And so therefore, there must be a God. How do we know, how do we know it's a disaster. I think, I think what happens is this. What we understand of God and what we know of God, because we are extremely finite, I'll discuss that in a minute. What we know of God, what we believe of God, that he's loving, he's caring, etc., doesn't fit with the logical response of, but that doesn't fit my definition of love. That doesn't fit my definition of caring And so what we have is we have this battle between our feelings and our emotions and our intellect, and and, and it's not lining up, right? And so we ask this question. The reason that we know it's bad is because there's a standard of good. You wouldn't know it's bad if there was no good to compare it to, right? We wouldn't know it was bad unless there was a standard of good. So what you have to ask yourself is then where does the standard of good come from? Where does that come from? Inherently, almost almost in every single culture around the world that I'm aware of, inherently they know murder is wrong. Why is that such a common theme in humanity? There can't be a higher moral law without a higher moral law giver. Somebody has to give the law. Somebody has to produce it. We have laws because people produce them. Laws are created because they're produced by a higher being with a higher intelligence, right? The reason, whether you're Christian, atheist, Muslim, or whatever, that we, the reason we call it a disaster, I believe, is found in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. It says this, He, God, has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. No one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. King Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes, he says, inherently inside of all of us, everybody that's ever born has eternity in their hearts. Whether they want to acknowledge it or not, it's there. We inherently know there's more to life than what we, than what we can see physically. It's in our hearts. King Solomon, one of the wisest men to ever live in the history of mankind, says, it's in our hearts. Now, how we reckon with it and how we deal with it, those are two different, those are two very different things. So I believe I, there are this morning just three reasons. I'm going to give you three reasons 
why God would allow natural disasters. I believe there's more, but I'm only going to have time to kind of jump into three. So let's take the first one. The first thing that Christians jump to, a lot of Christians jump, well, it's God's judgment, right? God's mad at all of us, and he's ready to zap us with lightning bolts and hurricanes and tsunamis and what you name it. And he's just, ang- he's just an old, angry guy sitting up there. No, that doesn't fit. Now, clearly in Scripture in the Old Testament, prior to Jesus coming, we read where there are what we would call today sinkholes, right? They just open up and they swallow people, and God uses that to judge the human race, and he uses it to judge people. But what we see in the New Testament is something very different. So in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 17, number 16, verses 30 through 34, we see God's judgment in nature. But in the New Testament, it's funny, as Jesus is walking the earth, I'm going to give you two instances. One is Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. And two things happen in Luke 13, 1 through 5. The first thing that happens is it says that the ruler kills some Galileans. He takes their blood and he mixes it with other sacrifices. And, And Jesus says, do you think that the people that were killed by this ruler were worse sinners than You or somebody else you know? And Jesus immediately answers his own question and says, no. The next thing Jesus says in this passage, he says, when the tower of Siloam fell and crushed all those people, do you think they were worse sinners than your neighbor or worse sinners than the drug dealer or worse sinners than a murderer? Jesus again answers his own question in in Luke 9 and says, or I'm sorry, in Luke 13, he says, no, they weren't worse sinners. In fact, Jesus literally, and I'm going to paraphrase this. I would encourage you to write this down and read this in your own time. Jesus basically alludes to they were just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Wow. Luke chapter 9, 54 through 55. Jesus goes into a small town. He's going to start sharing the gospel, but the town rejects him, sends him away. What did the the disciples know? Well, they know what we call the Old Testament. And they say, should we call down lightning and fire and, and, and just destroy the entire town and everybody in it? And Jesus goes, no. I don't want to operate that way. You see, we live underneath a new covenant. What's the Bible say? The Bible says that while Jesus was on the cross, all of God's anger and all of God's wrath at mankind was poured out on Jesus. You say, well, Tyson, what about the book of Revelation and the end of the world? I don't want to get too theologically deep here, but when the end times begin to happen and the Antichrist is revealed, etc., the Bible is very clear. The New Testament era stops and we revert back to, and Revelation is very clear that natural disasters and stuff are going to increase and pick up and get worse. But the New Testament era theologically has stopped at that point. Now, if you got more questions about that, ask me afterwards and we can talk about it. But within the confines of the New Testament, we don't see God's judgment being poured out because it was poured out on Jesus on the cross. Okay? So, Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, Jesus says this. He says, he's talking about his father. He says, he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Jesus says that when we live on this planet, God's creation, the rain, 
the sun, etc. Nature is going to do its thing. And it's going to sunshine and wonderful days on bad people and sunshine and wonderful days on good people. Rain on bad people, rain on good people. It is the world that we live in, Jesus says. The difference, not to steal my thunder, but I'm going to steal my own thunder just for a second. You and I are the hope of glory in this jacked up world. That's our job. That's what we're supposed to do. And so, number one of the reasons why natural disasters have occurred is that God has allowed them to happen in Old Testament times and the end times as a result of judgment, but not during the period in which we live. All right? And I know some preachers would severely disagree with me on that, but that's where I stand. Number two reason that I believe God allows natural disasters to happen. We have in our world something called natural laws, right? Natural laws, gravity, evaporation, sunshine. We have all of these natural things that happen, the wind blowing. These are all natural things that are very common in our world. They happen all the time, every day, right? And so God has placed in our world, when he created it, certain natural laws to keep this planet with the ability to sustain life. Now, those laws have consequences. Let me, let me put it another way. How many of you in here have parents? Let me see your hands. Everybody better put your hand up, right? Everybody's got a parent somewhere, okay? How many of you are a parent? I play really hard for you. Yes, welcome to my world. So, as parents... Let's say that there's a law or a rule in your house. No cookies before dinner. Moms, tell me why. You're going to ruin your appetite. You're going to ruin your dinner, right? No cookies before dinner. It's a law. It's a rule in our house. Now, what if Junior or Mrs. Ju- Miss Junior comes up and says, I want a cookie for dinner. And you say, okay, this time. Well, is the rule still a rule in the house? Yes. It's just you've made an exception. Now, what if every time they ask for a cookie, you said, yeah, go ahead. But then you say, no cookies for dinner. Can I have a cookie? Yes. The next night, can I have a cookie? Yes. The next night, yes. Is the rule really a rule in your house anymore? No, some of you act like that was a trick question. No, it's not. You're you're saying it's a rule, but it's not. God has put certain rules and laws in place in in this world, and in Genesis chapter 3, he put humanity in charge of the planet. If he continues to break his own law, and if he continues to break the rules, that he does he provide exceptions? Absolutely. We call those miracles, right? By and large, the larger part, if he continually breaks his own rules and his own laws that he set in place to govern this earth, are they rules and laws anymore? No. And then at what point does this world no longer look like the world we live in if he's constantly breaking his own rules? And if he's going to break his own rules all the time, can he be trusted? And if he can't be trusted, then he ceases to be God. 
Does that make sense? So at some point, we're like, God, I can't, who are you? And so he puts laws in place. And we look at the natural disaster and we go, what about that incident? What about that incident? And people, let's take Pendleton, for example, right? Because it's 10 minutes away. And I remember on the drive home from, from Lynn's parents' house that night, we were on our way on 132. And she's like, I think that looks like a funnel cloud. I'm like, oh, no, it's not. You know, like the typical husband standing out on his porch when the sirens are going off, like looking. And the wife and the kids are yelling. That happened at our house. And, and I'm like, no, it's not a funnel cloud. You know, and I'm driving in the van. And I realized later that had we left her parents' house any later, we would have, with our van, crossed the path of a tornado. You know, and I, I honestly believe that was God looking out for us. But I was going somewhere with that. Um, anyway, oh, yes. So with Pendleton, how many decades, how many centuries has it been since a tornado went through town? No, nobody knows. It's been a very, very, very long time. In fact, Native Americans, when they lived in that area, had a saying. They stayed close to the creek there because there was no history of tornadoes in the Native American history. They believed it was an area that the natural God would not allow to be touched. Do we thank God for the days and the hours and the decades and the centuries in which no natural disaster has ever happened? So when the natural law that God's put in place works perfectly for centuries and decades, suddenly gets bent out of shape because of our sin. I'll talk about that in a minute. Gets bent out of shape, we go, where's God? Well, where's he been the last few centuries when nothing's happened? Right? And so he says, you're in charge of the planet. I put it into your hands. So do we thank God? You see, God... In all of this, knows all. You and I are finite, right? You and I know, like, in the entire, of all the atoms in the universe, known universe, of all the atoms in the known universe, you and I might know, like, one electron of all of the atoms in the known universe. God knows it all. And so as a result, he goes, you know what? I put laws in place. I'm not going to keep breaking my own laws because then I can't be trusted. And if I can't be trusted, then people are going to come to me in a time of need. You see how this all plays out. And so God knows all. And in knowing all, there's something that philosophers and theologians call the ripple effect through time. Right? So I don't want to get into, like, time travel and geeky, like, scientific, like, sci-fi stuff. But there's something in time called the ripple, called a ripple effect. We see it in the life of Joseph. Do you remember the story of Joseph when he went to his brothers and goes, look at this cool coat, coat that dad bought me. And, and I had a dream that all of you all are going to bow down to me one day. And, and he's mouthing off to it. Joseph ran his mouth a little bit too much to his brothers. And so his brothers said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to sell him into slavery. So they sold him into slavery. Went back and told their dad, a lion, look, here's the coat full of blood. A lion got, got your son. We're sorry, dad. Right? In that moment, do you think Joseph was thinking about, oh, yeah, one day I'm going to be second in charge of the most powerful empire in the world, and I'm going to save my family? Do you think in that moment when he was being sold into slavery, he was thinking about that? No. But that event God used to ripple through time so that God knew that when the famine was coming, there would be somebody in power to save the family that would eventually become the nation of Israel and the Jewish people. 
So one moment in time ripples through time and impacts the future. What if this tornado that went through and there were no serious injuries, which is a miracle, by the way, what if somebody decides, holy cow, I better get my life right with Christ. They start to go to church. They start raising their family in Jesus, with Jesus, and the great-grandson a hundred years from now, of somebody who decided to get serious with God because of the tornado, a hundred years from now brings a million people to Jesus and is the Billy Graham of his generation. You don't know the ripple effect. God does. And he says, I'll use it. I don't want it to happen, but I've set laws in place. I'm not going to break my own laws because then I'm no longer trustworthy. So I don't want it to happen, but I set it up this way and I will use it to do. And you say, well, why couldn't he just set up the earth so it's not like that? You're forgetting He put us in charge. We decided to ignore his laws. We decided to ignore him. So what happens when a kid is told, don't go play in the street, but he ignores mom and dad? Not good, right? Same thing with the human race. And I guess what? As Christians, we know there's a perfect place. We know that. That's our job, to point people that direction, right? And so the ripple effect... Point number three as to why God would allow natural disasters. The spiritual reason behind natural disasters. You know, the Bible explains to us the spiritual reason behind natural disasters. We see it in the physical world, but every theologian will tell you this. What happens in the physical world is just a ripple effect of what has already happened in the spiritual world. And the battle in the spiritual world then gets played out in our physical world. Look with me at Romans chapter 8 as Paul writes to the church in Rome. In Romans chapter 8, 18 through 21, he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation, that's nature, creation, waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Paul says, nature as we know it is waiting for God to show up and say, these are my children. Nature's waiting for that. And then look at the rest of this. For creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, and hope that creation itself will be liberated from bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. What's Paul saying? He says, at one point in time in history, nature was perfect, but it was brought into bondage and chained to this thing called decay and corruption. And the nature that you and I know is not the same nature that Adam and Eve knew. They're vastly different. Though our world, as beautiful as it is, I'm getting ready to go on a sabbatical hike, and I'm going to be hiking through the Badlands and the Black Hills and just spending time with God. And as beautiful and gorgeous as that is, it's still ugly and in decay and compared to what God originally designed, right? And so Paul says, listen, from a spiritual aspect, this world was subjected, was subjected to decay by, who's he referring to? He's referring to Satan, when Satan was kicked out of heaven, when Satan was in charge of the music in heaven, and Satan said, you know what, I can be like God, and God went out kicks him to the planet, and he takes over the planet, and he subjects it. In fact, that's found in, Ro- in Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14 says that when Satan was kicked to earth, he subdued it. 
He took control of it and chained it to decay from a spiritual aspect. Nature is simply waiting on God's children to be in control of stuff because it knows. And I don't want to get into all the science of how nature knows, but talk to a farmer. They'll tell you nature knows, right? So there's a spiritual aspect of it. Then what we got to say is, okay, well, if God's not going to break his own laws except to occasionally give an exception to it in something called a miracle, if spiritually we know that the earth is in decay and chained because Satan took control of it from a spiritual aspect, then why the deaths? Why all the deaths? Why, why would God allow these natural disasters to create so many deaths? Now, we're very blessed in Pendleton to not have that, right? One minor injury, that's it. Out of a town of about 6,000 people, that's it. So why the death? Why would God allow the death? Well, again, Bible's clear on this. Let's take two examples. Let's take Katrina. A few years ago, right? Katrina happens in the city of New Orleans. Where's New Orleans built? New Orleans is built below sea level. So what do we do? We build levees and dams and all sorts of stuff to keep the sea out so we can live below sea level. I don't mean this to be directed towards anyone, but think about it just for a minute. How arrogant and prideful is it to build a city below sea level thinking we can beat nature? Right? So the people, did the natural, did natural disaster happen? Yes. Did the hurricane come through? Yes. But my question is this. Was it the natural disaster that killed the people and caused the damage? Or was it our pride and our arrogance that said we could do this and nothing will, nothing will happen. We don't have to worry about it. Everything's safe. Was it the natural disaster or was it our own pride and arrogance? Which is, the Bible calls, sin. Let me give you another example. The tsunami that hit the Philippines where hundreds of thousands lost their lives. Horribly devastating. Yes, the tsunami was the physical cause of loss of life. But you and I aren't concerned about the physical cause. We're concerned about the spiritual cause. In places like Haiti and the Philippines and poorer third world countries where people huddle together in masses, what caused a greater loss of life? The tsunami or the poverty, the injustice, the greed, and the envy that caused people to cut corners when they're building buildings to save a little money to etc. that caused the greatest devastation. You see, I don't... Yes, the physical reason for loss of life is a natural disaster. But the Bible says it's not so much the natural disaster as it is our own pride and arrogance and our greed and our envy to try to cut corners. And I can just, we can just shave off a little bit here and save money here. And we can do, and anybody that's worked in the construction field, and I know there's a lot of them in here, you know that's true. And what do you think happens in a third world country where they don't have the laws and the regulations to try to prevent some of that stuff. You see, the Bible says that all of that stems from the human heart. The greed, the pride, etc. to try to say, well, we can just do it and it'll be okay. So what's the real killer? 
The sins of pride, greed, laziness, envy cause greater death and damage levels than the disaster itself. So what is our response? What should our response be as Christians? In closing, this should be our response. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. If you're sitting here today and you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, say, I'm living my life for Jesus. Not for myself and my neighbor and my parents. I'm living my life for Jesus. I've asked Jesus to forgive me of my sins and I'm walking in relationship with Jesus. This verse is for you. Philippians 1, 6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God is working through you and in you spiritually to grow you from the inside out, to change who you are, to look more like Jesus in your own unique way. And he says, I'm going to carry it out until the day it's completed. Colossians 1.27 says this, To them, you and I, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles, Gentiles is a Bible word, it means anybody who's not a Jew, to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. What's the mystery? The church. The church was a mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He tells the Christians, he goes, listen, the Jesus that's in you in these moments, in these terrible times, is the hope of glory. Your job as a Christian is a hope dealer. How well are you dealing? How well do you deal hope to others? Right? What would your response be if it was our town? What would your response be if it was lapel? Would you deal hope? I would like to think so. Do you deal hope on the job? Do you deal hope when you go to Ice Cream Plus? Do you deal hope when you go to Dollar General? Do you deal hope when you go to your work? Do you deal hope? You're a hope dealer. Do you deal? You see, in my life, I want to be famous in two places, heaven and hell. I don't need to be famous on the earth. This passes. This thing goes away. The Bible says we live in this body called a, the Bible calls our body a tent. I need to be famous in heaven and in hell. I need to be famous in heaven for the lives I brought with me, and I need to be famous in hell for the people that I stole from hell. That was your amen moment. You ought to be famous in heaven and in hell. You ought to tick Satan off and make God happy. That's your job. You have no other, that's your primary role. You and I are on a mission. When we were fighting in Afghanistan, there was a SEAL named Edward, Edward Byers. They were going on a mission to rescue a physician that was fighting with them, a civilian physician that was fighting with them on the battlefront and helping Afghans who were sick and injured from the war. Well, this physician got trapped by the Taliban. And so they called this SEAL team in, and they told him, don't come out without him. You don't come back unless he's with you, and he's got to be alive. So they're about six miles out. They parachute in, hit the ground. They, they know which building it is. They've done, they've done practices. They, they've set up. 
that building in the practice area. They know where the corners are at and where the doors are at. They know how to clear that building. They've been through it a hundred times. So for now, suddenly there's carpets hanging up in the rooms, and it's thrown off their practice. Edwin Byers recounts the story in the Navy Times, and he says that when they went in, they took down a couple of guys, not fatally. They injured injured them, took them down. He said, and he couldn't tell behind one curtain there was a guy on the floor moving, and he couldn't tell if it was the doctor or the Taliban. He said he lunged, weapon in hand, diving through the carpet, got on top of him, put his knees in the back of his head, and held him down. They rescued the doctor. They lost one seal in the process, but they brought his body back. The rescue, though, bittersweet, was deemed a success for the SEAL team. And it was deemed successful by the Navy. Let me tell you something. There are people all around us held hostage by alcohol and dope and lives that they didn't choose to be born into. And you and I are living on mission. And we have a mission. And our mission has to be deemed successful. I'm asking you, do you want to be a part of the team that goes in and saves people from messes? That saves people from the trauma? You don't have to be a licensed counselor to go give tea to somebody and say, listen, I'm here for you. Our job is hope dealers to go in and give them hope and to go into the problem areas and say, I'm here for you. And if I go down in the fight, so what? My retirement plan is out of this world. Amen? That's your job. The church body, as we sit here today, the church is a constant reminder that God did not abandon us. That God has not abandoned this world. My question for you today, are you ready to sign up for the most dangerous yet rewarding mission in the history of the human race? Because in case you can't tell, it's a battlefield. And we need nurses, we need doctors, we need infantry, we need pilots. We need everybody doing everything that they can to rescue those. Because our goal is to be famous in heaven and famous in hell. Who cares about this world? That's our job. Would you stand up with me this morning? If you're here this morning, and maybe you're not on the team. Maybe you're not a part of the team called Jesus followers, Christians. I don't mean like, I think I'm a Christian because mom and dad were a Christian. I mean like, you know it. I'm going to ask Aaron and Lori to come up, come down here, and I'm going to ask Steve and Bonnie to come down here. And you can do one of two things. You can either come down and talk with them, and they'll walk you through the sinner's prayer and just, God, forgive me. Begin to accept Jesus. Or you can see me out there afterwards. I want to pray with you. If you're here this morning as we close out in song and need prayer for anything else, we want to pray with you.